Welcome in to DNVR Fantasy Live, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, the number one rated sportsbook app in the United States. If betting is legal where you are, then you'd better have this app. It's the best one out there. We've been spending a lot of time on it. Real quick, do you have any any quick tips for us betting-wise today, Dre? I like Kyle Freeland to close out the sweep for the Rockies in Arizona. All right. Take the Rockies money line. You get that at plus money. All right. I like it. Uh, I'm Henry Chisholm sitting here with Andre Simone. Mm-hmm. Uh, down in the corner, you see our producer, Guy Casavan. He's going to be providing his insight as well today. And uh, we're moving on from the top 10. So if you guys watched Tuesday's show or you listened to the yeah. podcast, uh, you saw us break down the top 10 running backs. Uh, mm-hmm. We, I guess, had a couple of debates about who actually is in that top 10. But uh, now it's time to move on past yeah. those guys into yeah. a part of the draft where you start to see some more question marks. Yeah, really. And, um, you know, to start this off, how many tiers did you exhaust in your top 10? See, that's a tough question. That's a tough yeah. question because I, I I would agree that Christian McCaffrey really is a in a tier of his own. own. Yes. I, I think you have to put him there. Yes. Behind that, it gets tough. Like, is, is Zeke in his own tier? Do you include Saquon in that tier? The, what I kind of decided on was... I'm just going to put Zeke, Saquon, Kamara all in one tier. And so then tier two. to me, it's uh, the the rest of those six guys, I guess, with uh, Dalvin Cook, Aaron Jones, Josh Jacobs, Joe Mixon, Clyde Warzelaire. I, I think that they all kind of fit together. They all have about the same odds of panning out the season. Yeah. Yeah. I think we might have got into four tiers with my top 10, where Josh Jacobs, my 10th running back, kind of starts that fourth tier that we're really going to get into now mm-hmm. that I think lasts till about my RB 16. Um, so yeah, I, I think, you know, Zeke is a tier of his own to me, Kamara all the way to Nick Chubb all present similar risk and similar top three type upside. And then after that, we get into a little more uncertainty still running backs. I really like to start, but I got to acknowledge there's a little more uncertainty taking a bit more risk, but there's some RB1 upside with most of these guys here in the 11 through 20 range as well. Yeah, it really does thin out here, though. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just looking at the ADP, you have 12 guys at 17.6 or better. That's an average draft position. Um, behind there, you start to see these jumps to 21, to 24, to 38, to 38. Yeah. All of a sudden, four backs later, you've jumped from average draft position 17 to 40. How crazy is that? Massive gap. Massive. It's huge. Really goes to show you that basically in the top 17 picks, 12 of those top 17 selections are running backs. The other Mm -hmm. five are quarterbacks. I I think I've seen some tight ends and sprinkled in there, wide receivers. But really the bulk of those first 17 picks are going to all be running backs. And then they're more sprinkled in there where you're going to be more quarterback, more wide receiver, and even more tight end heavy in those, you know, kind of falling the second half of round two on. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, let's just jump in now. Yeah, let's Guy, do can it. we get the graphic for number 11? Oh, we got the full thing. Here we go. So at number 11, the ADP says Kenyon Drake is the most popular pick here. Mm-hmm. Uh you have Guy with Austin Eckler. I've got Miles Sanders, and Dre has Clyde Edwards-Elair. You know, we've already covered Kenyon Drake and Austin Eckler and also Clyde Edwards-Elair in this last show. So if yeah. you haven't checked that out yet, uh, you can jump on YouTube and see Tuesday's show. You can listen to the podcast as well. But I, I think we've pretty much had our conversation about those guys. So let's dig in with Miles Sanders. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Dre, you you're, want to start it off? You're the one who likes him. Yeah, okay. I mean, he's just a few spots lower for me. Love the offense. If they can reproduce what they had going two, three years ago with Jay Ajay in that running game, I'd be excited. Can they, though? Ismail Sanders, that downhill battering ram that a guy like Ajay was for them? A little more skeptical as far as that goes. Yeah, that's fair. I also think that he has a little bit more upside as a runner in terms of like breaking big runs. Certainly. Whereas Jay Ajay, sure, he can run guys over, and, and that was very beneficial for that team, as we saw. Uh, but... Miles Sanders just has another level to him. You know, he, he mm -hmm. comes from Penn State. Mm -hmm. He was the guy right behind Saquon Barkley. And he has some Saquon comps that people are throwing out there. I'm not oh. sure I totally agree. Jeez. People saying, like, they are kind of the same back. But I, there's no one like Saquon. Yeah, Saquon's yeah, pretty unique. That's kind of where that. I've been. But yeah. I, I do think that in this offense with that backfield, he, he might be worthy of a first-round draft pick. If you're the last pick in round one or second to last. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, you could honestly, and we've talked about this guy as far as draft strategies. We would almost prefer having the 10th pick than like the fifth or fifth through seventh pick. Right. Oh, yeah. Because I'd much rather a scenario where I get like Eckler and Drake or Sanders and Eckler or Sanders and Drake, or, you know, there's a million little combinations here. Josh Jacobs maybe is one of your two RBs, then get stuck with a guy like Derrick Henry or Dalvin Cook or, you know, anyone in that range who we're kind of not in love with or have some concerns that they're a little too risky for us, and then you got to wait all the way for the middle of round two when probably these top four tiers of running backs are all dried up and you're having to settle for wide receiver five or maybe you start to consider a quarterback or something and it's not the ideal scenario that it would be to have two top 14 picks where you can almost guarantee yourself two of these top 11 12 backs yeah uh, i'm on board with that i'm in a draft that's coming up and i'm pick number six really not excited about it i'm actually trying to trade out of it actively but uh <laughs> that's not going so hot because i think a lot of people are on that same page yeah when you're stuck in the middle of a draft like that i mean you kind of covered most of the things i was going to say with that but also when you're coming around a turn you have a really good idea of who's going to be available to you and i like having that there even if it's you oh, know, I love ideal that. who's available. You have a good picture of what you can do with yeah. those two picks yeah. instead of just making one and then, you know, crossing your fingers and hoping for the next 12 picks for someone to drop to you. So I would much rather pick near a turn, whether it's the first one or the second one, uh, just so I can really like strategize a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense to me. I think that if you don't land two running backs with your first two picks, then you really do just have to start gambling on upside. And and we'll get into some of that later with a bunch of the guys that I'm excited to talk about, some of these rookies in particular. But even with Miles Sanders, the Who's more I think of it, the more I'm kind of tempted to say that if I did get him, I'm not thinking that he's totally locked in as you know, a, a true number one running back in yeah. fantasy. I'll, I, I'd be taking more shots at some high upside guys just in case who'd still be trying to fill that spot. And I, I think that that really is the knock. The upside to me is still enough to keep him this high yeah. on the list. But 
he is more of a gamble than some of the other guys that are still available right yeah. around here. He checks off a lot of the high upside boxes, mm -hmm. right? Uh, for starters, we saw his production once Howard wasn't there last year. He was averaging almost exactly uh, 20 touches a game, I think like 19.8, and was averaging almost 20 fantasy points per game in that span. Limited sample size, but between his upside as a just a natural raw talent and the upside of being able to perform at a high level in that offense, pretty intriguing. I'm a bit more skeptical, and I would pose this question to you, Guy. How do you feel about Boston Scott? Because that's part of my reluctance is I really want to buy into Miles Sanders as a receiving back, and I right. worry that that veteran might take enough touches away on third down and other receiving opportunities to lessen Sanders' value. Uh Going back and looking at the stats, when Boston Scott was producing last season, he wasn't taking away from Miles Sanders in the process. So I'm not really worried about Michael or Boston Scott uh, as being a threat to take away work. I think they work in tandem, and it actually it's symbiotic in a way because when you have to cover both of those backs – it confuses defenses and it leaves more space. It keeps them more honest and it gives them more opportunities. So if anything, the presence of Boston Scott actually me, makes me feel better about Miles Sanders. Yeah. I mean, and 50 receptions last year. So, you know, you've got a point there. If that production stays the same, you got to like, you'll still have enough impact in the receiving game for you to like. And look, six touchdowns last year, he increases that efficiency in the red zone a little more, gets in the end zone, you know, what, another like five times. All of a sudden, you go from running back RB15 last year without being the bell cow mm -hmm. most of the time to, yeah, a guy who's legitimately in that top 12. So, Yep, I agree. Uh, who do we have for number 12? Let's go ahead and take a look. Let's see. So, ADP has Josh Jacobs. You got Aaron Jones. You got Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake. All guys we've talked about. Yeah, um, totally. To me, though, just because we've been talking about Miles Sanders, I actually see him and Kenyon Drake as very similar players. And, and and the reason that I go with Sanders over Drake is just because I trust that offense more. But but because right, of the right, upside, right, right. because that that floor is very real and it is fairly low things could kind of fall off just because we haven't seen these guys produce mm -hmm. for full seasons at a time um yeah i think i like drake's talent more i like sanders's opportunity slightly more but yeah i mean we're not too far off there um and then i've i've kind of got edwards hilaire sprinkled in there as well you know Mm -hmm. Again, I might have been sold to take him a little higher if this was a different offseason and we did have preseason and what have you. But um, again, the top 12, though, I think we're kind of splitting hairs, but we're right yep. around the range of what we felt with the guys who are even like ninth and 10th on our list. Yeah. And, and we were talking about this earlier, but really the differences between a lot of these guys are so slim that yeah. I find myself like making pretty big changes. Like I could see Miles Sanders falling down three, four spots if just because of the way I'm feeling on that particular day, on draft day. You know, I could also see myself saying, you know what, I'm going to take the gamble. I'm going to pull the trigger and take mm -hmm. him early. Uh, it, it is really close through there. Yeah, no, um, it definitely is. And where it starts to get interesting is 
you are basically saying you value we value Joe Mixon the way you value Derrick Henry and vice versa. Okay. With our placement, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that's more or yeah. less what I'm looking at here. Yeah. Guy and I have Mixon where you have Henry and I'm pretty sure you had Mixon where we had Henry in the top 10. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, let's keep moving through yeah, these look picks. Up that. Um, yeah. Right there. Yeah, that is it. Uh, at 13, we've talked about all these guys already. 14, we've talked about uh, everybody except for Chris Carson. And I'm surprised that I'm the highest on Chris Carson. And, and th this is a conversation we have a bunch of times about how surprised we are that we like somebody better than everybody else likes him. But he scares me. Like, he's, he's been putting up good, consistent numbers in a, a, a good offense in Seattle with Russell Wilson. Run first offense, baby. Like, like who is even going to take touches from him? It would have been Rashad Penny, who's but not. But he, he's bad, though. Yeah. Now we know well, he's bad. And, and <laughs> I, I, I believe was put on the pup. Oh, was he? Yeah, so okay. he won't be playing Travis Homer's there, but whatever. No. I'm not too scared. It, they drafted a guy, uh, DJ Dallas, right? The the Miami kiddo. Yep. Um, doesn't Speed threaten guy. me too much. No. So, yeah, you're right. Talent's there for Chris Carson. He's been more durable than I think people give him credit. Yes, he's had his injuries, but in this range. Part of the no. problem is he's starting the season on the pup. I mean... He may be available for week one, but that really is the concern. Is is he going to be able to stay healthy? If he does, top 10 running back easy, especially with that uh, opportunity he has in Seattle. But injuries definitely are a concern with him. Injuries have been a concern, but in the, la in the recent stretch, he's produced. I mean, and he stayed on the field, and he doesn't do it in the prettiest of ways, but he does, he does the trick for them. He's that... He's that bell cow north and south mm -hmm. physical back that they've been looking for since beast mode left. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you. There's the injury concerns. I think there's a little can he keep it up to me more than anything. I've been burnt so often with Seahawks running backs. You know, they've had such a hard time sticking to a guy. Yeah. I I've seen in so many of my dynasty leagues, people trying to go hard after the Chris. Carson's of the world and Chris Carson's the only one that's worked out. They've had a ton of busts that they drafted high, but then never worked out. This is the second backfield. I like the most in the NFL as far as mm -hmm. like buying into a backfield second only to the 49ers. But there are some questions with Carson that push him down just slightly. But again, he's in the firmly in this fourth tier in that 10 to 16 range where it's like, yeah, he could be my RB one. Yeah. If just a few things go their way. Yeah, and just looking through the numbers, you know, he ran for over 1,200 yards last year, over 1,100 yards the year before. He has 57 catches over that time frame. There's a lot to like here. Like, I think that he is just a solid, consistent running back in a in an offense that may not be the most explosive in the NFL, mm -hmm. but it is a very good offense still run by uh, Russell Wilson. I think that Chris Carson is... I don't know. I think he could be a really good value as we start to get into this range, this 14, 15 range. Yeah, and yeah, he did I mean, return really to practice. behind him to, you know, vie for touches there to actually threaten his job. I mean, we already know right. Rashad Penny. He can't stay healthy either, and when he is, he's not even that good. So DJ Dallas isn't really a threat to me. Yeah. I think – Not at all. I mean, he – 
Chris Carson has returned to practice. It looks like he's healthy. Yep. So, I mean, it's just one of those things where you continue to follow the news, and if if those green lights are coming up, that everything's looking good on his injury front, this totally. is a guy that easily jumps up for me. Right, and you want to mitigate some of that risk? Draft Travis Homer, like, in the 12th round. I think that, yeah. that barely cost you anything yep. um, to just be insured. He was RB12 last year in front of guys like, or behind guys like Mark Ingram and Leonard Fournette. Those yeah. guys drop off, which I think we all expect. You're looking at RB10. Yeah, so. I think if you exclude uh, the game that he got injured in week 16, he only had three weeks where he was below 10 points, and two of those three weeks were 9.7 points. That's why so, you like that offense. He's yep. still going to get touches yep. even if he's not good. So it's yep. kind of like, yeah, fine. All right. Can we see that graphic again, guy? Yep. Yeah, and this okay. is where... This is where I could really argue we start to enter a new tier. Yeah. Right yeah. about 15. You know, ADP as Gurley. Gurley is firmly not in the tier of the guys we just spoke about. That's very true. He is a gamble. Right. Yeah. He's a big gamble. Yeah, you want to talk injury concerns we've mentioned so far with Carson and Dalvin Cook mm -hmm. and what have you. Uh, Todd Gurley's another, like another level of gamble injury-wise and all that. Yeah, these are like career threatening injuries oh yeah i oh, had and, a really I mean, hard time i mean i was i was big on uh, david montgomery as we were talking earlier and i had to take him out of my top 20 because of his uh i think it's a groin strain right uh, just today so right really recent sure. news yeah we're not sure what's going to happen with that but i had to put someone in there in the top 20 to replace him and it ended up being todd Gurley. he has opportunity Last season, he finished as the RB14, even with all of his injury concerns. So I he know. has the talent. Crazy, yo. I just think that with that knee, I mean, that's been an every season concern going all the way back to college, and it oh, has yeah. not gone away. It's it's career-threatening, to be honest. Yes. So I don't yes. know how much longer he has in the league. Yeah, and I just, – just straight up, I am not drafting Todd Gurley. Like – unless something crazy happens and he is still there in like the fifth round, fourth round, I'm just staying away. He's, he's firmly on your do not draft. List. He's washed. He's, he's Whoa. done. No, he, he played, he had 223 carries last year, put up 857 yards. Three point seven yards for Terry. Like he's he's, he's done. You don't want the RB 14. That was, I don't think he is the RB 14 anymore. I don't think he is RB 14. He's just been on such a downward trend now for a couple of years. Like it's, I think it's essentially over for him. Yeah, I mean, you're taking a Bill Belichick stance where you'd rather be a year early than a right. year late on a guy's career being past the point of no return. Yeah, I would. I would much rather have a DeAndre Swift, a guy who we haven't seen who could be who could actually reach that very high ceiling that I think people are still clinging to with Todd Gurley that I really don't think is there. You know, the thing is that offense I am intrigued by because it's always going to be productive as long as Matt Ryan's there. If you buy Todd Gurley, you have an obligation to also, you know, again, 12th round, take Brian Hill, who I do like. I, I almost might just skip drafting Todd Gurley and <laughs> wait to take Brian Hill yeah. past round like 10 um, and feel kind of good about it. But, man, yeah. I mean, and... Here's the thing. Would you draft him in round four? Sure, there's some scenarios where I might be forced to do that. But A, I haven't been able to execute my strategy of getting running backs round one and round two uh, back-to-back -back picks. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, it would not be an ideal scenario to have to count on Todd Gurley. In fact, he's firmly like out of the mix for me. He's yeah, running back 18. And it's merely the fact that even last year he was still productive despite not being fully healthy. You know? Well, I'll play the mm-hmm. devil's advocate here. Uh, yes, he has injury concerns, but when he's on the field, he has that top 10 upside yes. that you're not going to find a lot of these other guys. I mean, you can take a safe guy uh, a little bit further down. Let's say, like, I don't know, David Johnson. He's going to get a lot of touches, but he doesn't have that big play availability at this point. But you know as your RB2, you're getting consistency from him just based on the volume that he's going to receive, right? Todd Gurley, meanwhile, he has a way higher ceiling than that, so you know what you're going to get out of him, right? In a year where we've got COVID and everything else, and we're going to tout the value of picking up handcuffs, valuable handcuffs from valuable offenses, you know you can plug a guy in behind him if you have the space on your bench, why not take a chance on a guy with that high upside like Ty Gurley if you could get him in, say, the fifth? Because I think they're guys with higher upside. Do Again, th- DeAndre Swift. I would rather have DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, who hasn't one of these rookies. In the, in the NFL. I You'd know, but I, exactly. In the Detroit running scheme, this is a I team don't mind who, it. come on, they went five years without a 100-yard rusher. They went five years without having a good running back on the roster, though. They had two decades, <laughs> two decades, where they only had two guys that had thousand-yard seasons. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's not an offense I trust. I, I, th- I think you can this trust it. I mean, size. that's two decades. Would you feel comfortable starting him as your flex, though, guy? DeAndre Swift? No, no, G- uh, Gurley. Oh yeah. Are like if we're me? talking about him in that fourth, fifth round. Absolutely. Especially with the depth at wide receiver, if you can go running back, running back, maybe you pick up, I don't know, like a decent wide receiver as your wide receiver one, and then you pick up Todd Gurley as your flex. Oh, I would love that. Mm. And this is someone who was really off the uh, Todd Gurley experience. I really didn't want any part of it. But if he continues to drop, because I know why people are scared of him, this is that opportunity to take advantage of uh you know a market inefficiency we'll call it when all these people are scared and everyone is so hesitant to buy into it if he continues to drop especially when you have high risers like say antonio gibson where people are just you know they're seeing only the good things that these guys can produce only their ceilings and they want to get them early right just they're star-crossed by all those things and todd curley is available somewhere in the fifth, maybe even the sixth, God forbid, I would love to take a chance on him as my flex. If it's my RB2, yeah, I'm going to have a little bit more difficult time with that. But as a flex, he makes a perfect flex candidate because you don't have to play him week in and week out. And maybe you get, say, a Will Fuller who has sort of the same thing going on where they have that high ceiling, but they have to get on the field. When you have a lot better chance to have at least one of them available, you know you're going to get a big punch at your flex and not just a steady like nine points history tells us those guys will both be done by like week nine yeah and even if who are you starting at flex in the playoffs would be my only question yeah but flex is that position where you know we talk 
a lot of people talk about how you know you're not going to win your league in the draft but you can certainly lose it right yeah what that means is your early round picks will say the top four rounds you want to be pretty safe safe yeah might be the incorrect word but calculated i think is a better word um, because you do want high upside you don't want just you know bland consistency but you don't want guys that are super risky later on in the draft however you really need to be swinging for the fences so to speak even if it's around five i think that's a good position to start taking those risks after that i mean go back and look at your teams from years past look at the week one lineup that you drafted and then go look at your week say 16 lineup or if you didn't make the playoffs week 13 look at just how different they are and yeah, see if true. you still have your fifth round your sixth round pick on that team or if you had to drop them at some point see who you picked up off the waiver wire to fill in at flex so yeah. even if you're only getting the first four or five weeks with todd Gurley, you're going to be winning those four, first four or five weeks and putting yourself in a better position to make the playoffs I just don't think he's going to do much. Like, here, here's the difference. You called him a home run swing. I think he's a double swing. I think best case scenario, he's like a, oh, wow, he snuck over 1,000 yards. And, you know, like, and, and odds are you're probably just going to strike out anyway. Like, Todd Gurley to me just isn't a guy who's worth what he's getting picked at. Even injuries aside, I still don't think I would take him there. I mean, the past injuries are why he slowed down so much, why he's not explosive, why you can't trust him to be more productive on the field i just don't think that he's worth having on a roster this is why i'm playing in multiple leagues with you <laughs> <laughs> he's per adp he's rb16 and he's going around position 38 i think that's a smidge okay. high i think yeah. that's a smidge high yeah he says uh rb15 i have him at 20 uh, I see Dre has been 18. Yeah, see? And, and for production last year, he was RB14. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. No, and I know. He's been undervalued a bit, but not he... undervalued to the extent I think we're, we're saying right now. The other thing is this tier of running backs, I think there are guys in that tier with similar upside to a Tard Gurley. Uh, James mm -hmm. Conner is a guy like that who we've seen be a top 10 uh, RB producer before. Obviously, uh, similar injury concerns. Uh, I think when you look at those offenses side by side, though, you have Pittsburgh, who really, I mean, they're hanging their hat on Ben Roethlisberger being healthy. If he's not, what is that offense with, who is it, Duck Hodges, Devlin, is that his name? Mm -hmm. And then you've got, uh, oh my God, I don't even know. I mean, who they were still an 8-8 eight eight team last year without James Conner yeah, and without Antonio Brown and without Big Ben. That's because yeah. of their defense, but you have no idea what their offensive identity is if Ben has to take time off because of an injury. He's like, what, 39? Yeah, I, risk yeah, I mean, he's, at all, he's as old as Drew Brees. Yeah, but he doesn't have the same consistency and the same number of games played as Drew Brees. And then you look at Atlanta's offense with Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. That's a higher-powered offense with a worse defense who's going to be running more plays than the Steelers are. And I think there's more opportunity there for Todd Gurley. And I'd rather own a piece of that offense than I would a piece of the Steelers offense, which I feel like their identity is really in flux right now. They look like they might not even want to pay Juju Smith-Schuster for God knows what reason. I mean, he's a fantastic wide receiver. Why don't you want to pay the but man? But don't you think if they're a defense-first team, they'll be dedicated more to ball control and, like, running the ball? Yeah. 
And James Conner, I think, has more upside than Gurley as a receiver, too, which is nice. Yeah. I mean, if you look at my rankings, I'm not... I have... I think I have Conner slightly ahead of Gurley, so I do agree with you in that respect. I just see Gurley fall more often. And and we we should mention... I love to see it, and I like to just jump on those opportunities versus a Conner that you'd have to take a round earlier. Yeah, that I could see. I mean, and another guy I think has similar upside is Raheem Morstert. Yeah. Um, who, yep. you know, last year in the last five games, not even accounting for the playoffs where he went off, but last five games, he averaged 75 yards per carry, averaged over 5.7, or I mean, 75 yards per game just rushing, over 5.7 yards per carry. That was on under 13 touches per game. Average that out for a full season, that's 1,200 yards. Um, now, that the Niners can be pesky, right? Like, because any running back will be fairly productive in that system. You got to hope that Mostert's the guy for all 16 games. But again, I think that's comparable upside to Gurley. Um, so, yeah, I just, but again, I just think this is a different tier. And I think we all agree on Gurley being that next tier with the Mostert's and, uh, you know, the James Connors of the world, it's ADP that disagrees with us and has them slightly higher than some of these guys. Yeah. Yeah. I really like Mostert. I think Mostert is a great pick. Yeah. He, uh, like you said, he's super productive. You just don't know how many touches he's going to get. And I think that when push comes to shove, it's late in the season. The 49ers need production. They know that Mostert is the best back on that roster. I should hope so. And they ended up resolving the kind of contract dispute yeah, they had in the offseason. Which off season, shows so. that they like him. Follow the money. Great uh, note from Guy on all of these guys. Yeah. Follow, follow the money, and Moster is the guy I'd follow the money. What worries me is they have paid Jarek McKinnon, who's been on the IR, and is looking real good. So he would maybe be my top uh, handcuff, and we'll get into that a little more in the next segment here. But, man, it gets interesting here. I mean, and now we're in those last three spots in the top 20, and this is really like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And mm-hmm. some of us will have guys on the do not draft list that others of us might be prioritizing as our RB3 or flex option, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, here at 16, we see uh, Fournette for the first time by ADP. Which none of us. Oh, no, guy, you do have Fournette. Yeah. Yeah. I struggle with this one, but tough man. It really just seems like uh, what else do they have in Jacksonville? And this is definitely an instance of they're not going to bring him back, or I mean, at least all the indications are that way. And they might just take that opportunity to just run the wheels off him and just get as much as they can. And like, who are their other running backs there? They have Chris Thompson, who we know he's a pass catching specialist, but he's not a grinder. So Fournette has been kind of the identity of the offense for the past four years. They're just going to continue to do that. And I mean, young quarterback in Gardner Minshew, he did make some mistakes last year. Uh, he didn't throw a lot of interceptions, but he had a decent amount of fumbles. And I think with ball security and everything else, to build on his confidence, they kind of want to take the ball out of his hands a little bit until they really need him to work his magic. So I think Fournette will get a little bit more opportunity there. And again, he's got no one behind him. So as unexciting as he is, I don't think you can drop him really any further than this just based on the volume he's going to receive. I mean, I'm not excited about it. I just, I feel like you have to recognize that. 
Except that uh, Visca is going to be good for about three, four rushing attempts a game. Three, four, five. I've talked to him. He told like like it's it's going yeah. to happen. You know, and but so it's still not a it's not a big threat. Every running back is going to have to give some touches up. If it's three or four, he's still yeah. But that's three or four to a receiver. Like there are other running backs who will be on the field too. Plus, like they're going to be down in games a lot. They're going to be throwing the football like. I, he was RB7 last year, but following the money is what scares me here. I don't think they're invested yeah. at all. Chris Thompson has followed their offensive coordinator, John Gruden, over. What made Fournette so productive last year wasn't so much the 1,152 yards he ran or the three yep. rushing touchdowns he had. It was the 76 receptions for 500 yards he had. Chris Thompson, Visca, those guys are really going to cut into that production. And if on top of that, instead of 20 carries a game, you're looking more at 15 because he has to be in a, a carry share thing, suddenly he is kind of on the outside looking in of the top 20 running backs. Top of that, could they trade him? Could he get injured? He hasn't always been the healthiest. But I think, so you talk about a decrease in receiving workload, but at the same mm -hmm. time, three touchdowns, that's prime candidate for positive regression so i think that those two are going to mitigate each other he's not going to finish as the rb7 but at the same time if he drops to rb10 you're still getting him at rb20 value and he still has that borderline top 10 upside in him yeah, yeah. it's possible uh who's up next I wouldn't mess with him. He's on my do not draft list, but I feel you. I mean, Again, you, you could make a... <laughs> I'm not going to go out of my way to get him, but I still think you have to acknowledge the opportunity that he has and the potential he has for upside. So I don't want to... I don't want to say I'm not going to draft him. I'm not going to be excited about him, but he still belongs in that top 20 to me. Just a shade. I mean, I put you him have at him ahead of Gurley? I had him at 20 after David Montgomery, and I had to move him up slightly just because David Montgomery dropped out. So he's just barely in there, but I think he's he's proven that he belongs in there even if it's at the very end. Do you have him ahead of Gurley, guy? Let's go back to our uh, list. Yes, yeah. I do. Wow, I crazy. All right, Le'Veon Bell up there too now. Oh, yeah, me and Hank. So Hank and what I. are you guys? Another I, do not draft list I know, for me, I know. I, He's, oh, he's yeah. one who I, uh, if I were making this list today instead of a few days ago, I, I don't know that he would be on it. Yeah, he'd be sneaky with Melvin Gordon. I'm not really sure who I'd take there. But uh, so just what's, yesterday. What's changed? Yeah, give us the update on Le'Veon Bell's status at the Jets. Yeah, so just yesterday he tweeted something about uh, not getting enough playing time in practice. Uh, he was complaining about that, and then when people were responding to the tweet, he was talking more about it, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And it's just like, uh, I I don't know why he's not getting more touches in practice. Because the coach doesn't like him. That's speculation. It could be true. It uh, could totally be true. Whatever's going on, I just don't like it, and I want away from it. Does it it's just in, the Matt Gase effect is what it is. Uh, they just traded for Kalen Balaj too, who come mm -hmm. who uh, Adam what Gase has ever done though is he had really drafted. Mm, he's a threat in that he's another. He's further proof. He's just another body. He's further proof that the coaching staff doesn't believe in Le'Veon Bell, um, yeah. who also since Sam Darnold returned for the Jets in Week Six last year was only averaging 15 attempts a game, 53 rushing yards per game. So just. I mean, horrendous production last yeah. year. 
I think they're going to give Bellage, LaMichael P. Ryan, their rookie from uh, Florida, as much chances as possible. I'm not sure either of those guys is going to be talented enough to actually take the full workload away from Le'Veon, but they're playing Le'Veon because they have to, not because they want to, and that scares me terribly. Also, yep. he hasn't been super healthy lately. So, again, that's the guy I'm just like, I'll let you take him. I I'm not interested in all that risk, but I certainly can see the path and the argument for him. I think this starts getting to the place where you look at the pieces they're putting around him. Uh, they had a lot of problems on their offensive line yesterday, yeah. and they spent a lot of money to address that. So I think that his inefficiency running the ball was not so much a product of his talent as it was the offensive line and everything else and where he was getting hit when he was carrying the ball, he didn't really have a chance. So now that they've updated, upgraded that offensive line, I think he's going to get a little more space to work. And we know, I mean, they hammer it to us every single Sunday when they talk about how patient he is. He needs just a little bit of space in that backfield to find a hole and he can really make magic out of that. So I think with a better offensive line and with a little bit more stability, if Sam Darnold can actually stay healthy this season, he'll get a lot more opportunity. Even if he's doing a little complaining in uh, training camp here, mm. I, I think that's just noise. Guy, I, I, he, he was very patient. And where that worked, though, was I think he had better burst and power in his lower body. I, I wonder if he's a little past his prime at this point. I yeah. I can't believe some of you guys have Ronald Jones, my bay in your top 20s. Yeah. I'm all about Ronald Jones. Yeah. He's just not a, a top 20 guarantee for me. That's fair. I mean, I it, it's, another, it's another risk. There's projection. Yeah. I just think that he is more dynamic James White. And I think that's what role he's going to serve in that offense um, and I think that that makes him worth the pick, especially in a PPR where, again, Tom Brady is going to dump the ball off. Tom is quick to dump the ball off because he does not want to get hit. Yeah. Like I, I, I worry it, about Kayshawn Vaughn. In the, yeah, okay. I, I think that that's fair, too. Uh, if, but I love Ronald Jones' talent. There's no mm -hmm. doubt that he's the most talented back in that backfield. Will they get it right, though? I, I don't know. I yeah, don't know. I, and I don't know. For, it's like with Le'Veon Bell. There's so many questions. It's like, what is that offense? Is Sam Darnold really the answer? What's the relationship with Gase? Has he lost some of the burst? Yeah. Um, will throwing money at the offensive line turn into it being a good offensive line in the way that that hasn't worked for the Broncos? You know, like, there are a lot of questions there. Yeah. With Ronald Jones, the questions are like, is is he better than Keyshawn Vaughn? Like, is this offense functional with Tom Brady? And and all of those right. sorts of right. things that I think are more likely to be answered, yes. And I know that Bell in front of him on my list. As I said before, I, I think I'd switch that. I don't it, it is a risk though, especially because he's never done it before. And that's what a guy like Le'Veon does have on him. Yeah, fair enough. Um and I guess I'm the only one with uh, Jonathan Taylor and Mark Ingram at the end of my list. I, I like that Jonathan Taylor pick, though. And uh, uh, I, I've been wanting to talk about these rookie running backs. If you haven't noticed, I'm very low on a lot of these veterans. Um, but guys like Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, you know, in the last 10 years, there have been, I believe, 13 running backs, uh, rookie running backs who've had at least 1,000 yards. Wow. In the last four years, there have been seven. Wow. 
there have been a lot of productive rookie running backs and you know kind of getting the draft strategy of this if you don't come out of these first two rounds with uh two running backs mm-hmm. if, if say you just you get i don't know tyreek hill and miles sanders mm-hmm. first of all then you're in rough shape but then uh, i wouldn't mind just going heavy once you get into the area where you can be drafted guys like these rookies jonathan taylor deandre swift uh the J.K. Dobbins, all these guys, yeah. I, I might snag a couple of them and and hope that you hit one of the ones that does pan out. Yeah, I don't think that's a terrible solution. I'm I'm excited about Taylor for the fit in that scheme. He is that Jay Ajayi yeah. in that Eagles offense because of Frank Reich being over there. He was obviously there with the Eagles when they won that Super Bowl with the Jai and all those guys. I think he fits really nice. My only pause with Taylor is I really, really, really like Marlon Mack as well. So if yeah. I draft one, I got to draft the other. And I do worry that they might cannibalize each other's production to where neither really warrants being started. Um, but I think there's also significant upside to where um, Jonathan Taylor could easily be this year's Miles Sanders and be a top 12 back when this is all said and done. Yeah. So here's my thing is, uh, so we've been playing in a lot of Dynasty lately yeah. Yeah. versus – you know, your standard leagues. So in those dynasty leagues, these rookie running backs have higher value, and I think that's influenced the way I've looked at a lot of guys, and I mm-hmm. kind of have to go back and reassess, temper yeah. my expectations, things like that. What I'm drafting, though, uh, the first uh, – we talk about, like, season-long stats, right? But the first, like, six weeks are so important to how your fantasy season is going to play out. Mm-hmm. When you have a rookie running back, they're not guaranteed to – uh, in most cases at least i mean clyde edwards hilaire different story but in most cases they're not guaranteed to see the field in those first six weeks even if they have the talent and later on they're going to have the opportunity once jonathan taylor sees the field i'm sure he's going to be fantastic and i'm really excited to watch that they have a great offensive line everything's in place for him mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem like that's going to happen until after week six marlon mack like you're saying is still very good and they have a lot of plans for him as well. Yeah. So if you're drafting a guy this high, round four or five, for him just to sit on your bench for six weeks until you can actually finally start to utilize him, I don't think you're getting the full value out of that pick. When we go later on and talk about handcuffs, there are guys that you're going to be able to get later on, Alexander Madison, uh, Tony Pollard, guys like that, who they have league-winning upside – you may not see it till later in the in the year, but at the same time, you're spending like a, what's that, like a 10th, 11th round pick to get them versus a 4th or a 5th. So they have similar upside to these guys if things go their way, but you're getting at a much better value. So as much as I like the potential of these rookies, if you have to suffer through, say, a 2-4 and four start to get to the point where they're actually producing for you, at that point, you're playing catch-up. And you've kind of, I don't know, you've hamstrung yourself based on the way you drafted. He's definitely more of a luxury pick for your flex spot than an RB2 mm-hmm. consideration. Yeah. He's what, RB22 per ADP going around the 60th yeah. picks on ESPN. So that's not too bad. Um, but I see your argument. I'm surprised no one has Mark Ingram on their list either. That's like yep. the third backfield i wanted to buy into is uh baltimore over there i mean he was a top 12 back 
in the NFL last year. I think he's still very important to that locker room. So it's not exactly a follow the money because they've drafted other people and he won't be long in Baltimore, but in redrafts um, where I think he's kind of a forgotten man, I think he's still very startable for at least the first half of uh, 2020. Yeah. And that's, I think that's why I'm so low on Dobbins. First of all, like Jonathan Taylor to me was the best running back in this draft. And I really like his fit with Indianapolis. You know, Marlon Mack, good running back. Not somebody, uh, in my opinion, first-round talent can't beat out. You know, I think that the fact that he is very Melvin Gordon-like, not just in that he went to Wisconsin, but also in the build and the style of runner and, you know, the the pass-catching ability that I think gets really underrated with Jonathan Taylor. I mean... Jonathan Taylor last year had more catches in a shorter college football season than Marlon Mack did in an entire NFL season. You know, so he have those things going with it. He's going in there with uh, Philip Rivers. I don't know. I, I I really like these rookie running backs. As I guess I'll wrap you. that up. DeAndre Swift too. I'm I'm with you looking at the talent and really the potential of the opportunity, but just based on. When is that going to happen? When are you actually going to get to that point where he's realizing that talent? I just don't know when that is. And the uncertainty gives me pause in these rounds when really my strategy is to already have RB figured out and to really be taking some swings on wide receivers at this point. I just don't really see myself ever taking Jonathan Taylor just based on that because it's not really – uh, the timing of it just doesn't work out with my strategy. So, I mean, next year I could definitely see him as like, I don't know, the top fifteen running back. Maybe oh easily he gets close to that top ten. Oh yeah, I would say he's definitely top ten. Gone, yeah, yeah. Sure. I can see that. It's not going to be surprising to me. But for this year, I just don't know when he's actually going to get his opportunity. And in that kind of, it just gives me pause. We've kind of reversed roles in 11 through 20, Guy. You're leaning on the safer side on the back end of this running back class, going with guys who have produced over the years, the Fournettes, the Gurleys, even David Johnson was in your top 20, right? I think Um, it's important to note that my strategy, at least, is if I'm going to be take a swing, I want that swing to come early so that I know what I have within those first four to six weeks versus having to take up a bench spot to then find out later down the road. So some of the guys that I'm touting are not necessarily safe. Like your Todd Gurley's, we're talking about injury history. Yeah. But I know that if he does get an injury, it's more likely to occur later in the season when I have other contingency plans and I've gotten the most use out of him early in the season to better position myself to make the playoffs versus when you have guys that you know, rookies that might not be getting their opportunity until later, you're not going to know what you have until then, and you have to sit on them and wait. And by then you might be playing catch up and things are just different. Yeah. That's my strategy personally. All right. Who's up next? Do we have David Johnson? I think is one of the few left in the top 20 that we haven't really talked about. The only one that put him up there. Yeah. He's another uh-huh. one. He's another one to me who's just a vet who I just want no part of. You know, I uh, – so here – I might as well get into the whole thing. So I wasn't all that high on Kyler Murray. You know, like, mm. 
as going into the season. So I was like, okay, I need to go back and watch. And we'll get into the Kyler Murray stuff when we start talking about quarterbacks. <laughs> I'm not there on him, and I'm really not there on that offense. But in going back and watching, you see how much David Johnson is lost. He is... I mean, it's situations where they throw the ball to him in the flat. There's a defender 20 yards downfield, and you get to just see how quickly they eat up the space. And David Johnson is eating up zero space. Like, if you want him out there as just like a pure safety blanket, like catch four passes, maybe one of them gets you eight, nine yards. Sure, like take him. But to me, it's just not worth it, especially because in this range – Again, they're just guys who I like, who I think have a lot more upside, who are, you know, more likely to be able to contribute real points consistently if if they do pan out. Yeah, I think that what you're saying about, you know, he's fallen off, his big playability isn't there anymore. I agree with that. But when you take a look at the Texans offense, they got rid of DeAndre Hopkins, right? So what do they have? They have Will Fuller. They got Brandon Cooks and Sterling Shepard. Sterling, no, no, Sterling Shepard's on the Giants. I'm, I'm sorry, the other. Uh, yeah, who's the other wide receiver? Yeah, there's there's Duke Johns in the backfield. Pull up. But I'm just Kiki saying Kiki? that if you look at their wide receiver core, they're all very injury prone, right? Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a good chance that some or all of them are going to be missing time at the same time. This offense is kind of going to have to run through the running back. Like, they're going to have their big playability when they're out there, but at the same time, the identity of it is going to be a little bit more safe now that DeAndre Hopkins isn't there. And I think that uh, the backlash they got from the trade they made, getting rid of DeAndre Hopkins to bring in David Johnson, is going to kind of uh, coerce them into using David Johnson more than they might usually be inclined to. It's going to be one of those instances where, I mean, we're in Denver. If you look at the Rockies, you look at Ian Desmond, he's not the best player out there, but because they spent so much money on him, they feel like they have to be putting him out there. It's that sunk cost fallacy, and I think that's going to exist with David Johnson on this team, and they're going to be giving him a very high workload because Duke Johnson is just that guy that catches passes. He can't run between the tackles like a guy like David Johnson can. But that's and even David Johnson's he, entire know, value as a receiver. Is as a receiver. Yeah. I just I just don't see it. I, I see this as like Jamal Charles coming to Denver. Yeah. Where it's like you're like, oh yeah, this is gonna go great. Like look, he's a talented guy. Remember what he did like three, four, five years ago. Remember what he did to us. And yeah. then you see him and you're like that's not the same guy because I mean, he just isn't the same guy. I don't think I, that's I think, the big question. Yeah, I, is, I think is it's he over for him. David Johnson from a year ago, or is there something left and he was still recovering from yeah. the injury the past season and wasn't exactly at his full potential? Because I think the opportunities will be there, guy, mm-hmm. to where I contemplated him in my top twenty. But at the end, that's a huge question mark. He might just be washed. I, and, so I don't know. And yep. he, he only produced 141 fantasy points last year. You know? Again, like all these debates, these are all things that everyone has to decide for themselves. Like, are oh, you sure. willing to sure, bet sure, sure, sure. that David Johnson is washed or not washed? And how sure are you? Same thing with Todd Gurley. Same thing with Le'Veon Bell. And then with the rookies, are they going to be able to produce early? You know, a, a lot of this stuff really is kind of like the beauties in the eye of the beholder, that sort of Hell thing. Yeah. You, you got to take your chances where you want them. And this is just not one where I'm willing to take a shot yeah i think that uh, i understand what you guys are saying and i know that there's hesitancy there but i don't think he was a really a fit 
for Arizona once Cliff Kingsbury came in there. And I think that he just wasn't being utilized properly. Mm-hmm. If you look, so first six weeks, this is before he kind of got, he re-aggravated his injuries. So I think that yeah. they brought him back before he was really fully healthy and he's had more time now to get his body in shape. But those first six weeks, he's got three games over 20 points. He's got two at 18. He's got one 8.4. So he still has big game ability in him if he's utilized properly. I just think that that air raid offense didn't really cater to his strengths necessarily. Even though he is a pass-catching running back, there are different ways to utilize a pass-catching running back, and I don't think that was the best way. I don't know. I just can't get there. I think that that was a fit, and I think he just underperformed. I think it's going to be one of those ones where we look back and we're going to say, you know, you guys are taking one stance. I'm taking another. I'm not going to go to bat and say he's going to be a top 10 running back, <laughs> but I think that he's going to be a good value at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, he may not finish overall. Like He's ADP it. 48, though. You would spend a top 50 pick on him? He usually drops a little bit lower. That ADP, I mean, that's bell curve, right? So sometimes he's going a little bit earlier. Sometimes he's going later. If you got yourself in a position where – you didn't feel comfortable with the running backs that were available to you in those earlier rounds. I think that this gives you, I don't know, just a little bit more consistency at that point where you can kind of make up for some, you know, picks you might have missed out on a little bit earlier. Because if you're looking for your RB2, do you want to be taking Todd Gurley or David Johnson? Like, this isn't your flex, this is your RB2. Do you want a guy who has a better injury history and has a chance at a little bit more volume or do you want a guy that's a little bit more risky i want neither of those two guys and i'd reach for melvin gordon somebody who i know is going to get 50 percent of the touches in that offense you're going to get 50 percent of the production and then boom you're i mean if you want consistency that's how you do it you don't risk having some like guy who can barely get up and down the field on your lineup you know i that that's just where I'm at with it, at least. You're the only um, one with Gordon in the uh, top twenty here, so I am. We'll let you go off and talk about this one. Oh, whoa, you do? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that's actually ADP too, so we match that. That's um, crazy. You know, I, I for for the reasons I just said. You know, I I don't. I I think that he has some upside. I'll start there. Well, sure. I think there's a real chance that he comes in and he is what he was. I mean. Even just like last year, two years ago, I think he people are forgetting how good he has been very recently. And I, I, maybe there is some upside, so that things do swing to a 65-35 situation, something like that between him and Philip Lindsay. Meanwhile, I just don't think that there's too much of a floor. I, I think that he's going to get a significant portion of the touches. I mean, Philip Lindsay last year... Got about 50% of the touches for running backs. Yeah. And that was competing with Royce mm-hmm. Freeman. Like, they they don't want to give him the ball more than that amount. And I think that that's just been proven. And so I think that Melvin Gordon's just going to walk in, take all those touches, and be a consistent option with some upside. You mentioned Jamal Charles earlier. Injuries concern don't there? concern you? No, with Melvin Gordon. Jamal, I mean, Jamal Charles was old and washed. I think, uh, you know... I just don't see why Melvin Gordon would be seen as anything other than a good running back at this point. Like, that's just where I'm at with him. Having gone back and watched a lot of him, 
having seen like the numbers from all of it like he's just a pretty solid consistent guy i feel like i mean fantasy wise he's dealt with a lot of injuries and that's mm -hmm. he's been a bit touchdown dependent you know and this offense has historically underproduced there is that honestly the broncos offense is the thing that would scare me away the most juan yep. james opted out no concern yeah i mean in the run what game. even who is that guy you know like congrats on your six snaps like i'm yeah, i'm not too that worried says about something it. about the state of the broncos offensive line he was a starter and you're saying who even is he yeah he was a starter that's I don't, what he was I, that's how uncertain our offensive line is right now and if melvin gordon as much talent as you may have if he's getting hit behind the line i think he's fine i i, I think i i I'm just not that worried about it. I think he's going to go out there and produce because he's a good <laughs> running back. Like, I, I think you can read too much into all of these different things that are going on around it, but that's a very explosive runner who has home run hitting potential on any play. He has the physicality to pick up the short yardage is he needs. Uh, he can score the touchdowns. We were up by the goal line. You know, he's, he's a pass catcher. He just has pretty much everything, and the the reason he isn't, in my mind, a top 10 back is because he's going to be splitting time with Phil. Yep. I have Phil ranked ahead of him. Really? Phil's going to be more uh, huh. more more red zone efficient. I think Phil's going to have a slightly increased workload in the passing game. Yeah. So I think his touches will increase. His rushing attempts will remain the same. Um, and, yeah, I think Phil's just more explosive and m creates more uh, missed tackles and one-on-one -on -one opportunities. So uh, Phil's my top sleeper, but not a legit top 20 guy. This split with for the Broncos, though, is maybe so down the middle, it might kind of hurt both those guys yeah. enough to not really touch them. That's, that's kind of the flex that guy you were describing that you don't yeah. really want, that 9.7 points per game like yeah i'll, I'll take mm -hmm. it but I, i'd rather have a higher upside flex play there a ronald jones a james connor a todd Gurley, someone like that yeah you're not gonna find a bigger philip Lindsay fan than myself love oh. the guy but in fantasy i just it's not that i don't trust his talent i just have no idea how the front office views him if they're not willing to give him just at least a decent contract after what he's yeah. produced for this team that means that they just don't really have plans for him within his offense outside of just kind of a, a backup role. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they're going to do. And now you're bringing in Pat Shermer, so that offense is going to change its identity. Uh, we still have to see what's going to happen with Drew Locke year two, which, I mean, we're all excited for it. I think there's a lot of people that are uh, sort of, I don't know, projecting it higher than it will end up. We'll just say that. Uh, they're hyping it up pretty hard. It's just who knows. Jerry Judy, if he works out, I mean, we're hoping he does. Cortland Sutton, you got KG Hamler, you got Noah Fant. There are just so many mouths to feed on this offense. We're not entirely sure how it's all going to split up. I'm just not really excited about uh, investing to find out. So mm. as much as I'm excited to watch the team in real life, in terms of fantasy, I'm really not buying a piece of – anyone within this offense we'll get to wide receivers later but yeah, yeah for these two guys i'm avoiding both of them rb19 in a bad offense uh with still getting limited touches though so 197 fantasy points again not a top 20 guy but one of my top sleepers because if melvin gets injured 
and the opportunities increase and the offense does take that extra jump um, that guy's describing as a bit of a gamble, but something we're all kind of counting on. I think there's something there, but yeah, the ceiling is just so skeptical that's, enough. That's the thing for me though, is that I'm not sure how much his touches jump. If Melvin gets hurt, they can't, I mean, they've and, told and us, see, like, they don't the see him as more than a 15 touch a game back. Yeah. And like, I, I expect Phil to be every bit as good of a running back as Melvin Gordon, but we have seen, they are not willing to give, uh, Phil more than half of the touches. So his max is 50% of the offense. Whereas if Melvin does come in and he is the all pro that, he has in his blood like that's who he was supposed to be and that's who he was at wisconsin we saw like flashes of it he can he has the opportunity to flip it to 60 40 and that's why that's the sort of upside that puts him ahead of phil to me i could see it yeah i just um what was there was one more devin singletary that's the the interesting one one to me yeah and that's that's another one that i I today feel much higher on him than i did when i made the list not for like any real reason not because there was news just because it's like, you know what? Today, I think the Bills are going to realize that Josh Allen is no good, and they're just going to pound the rock with Devin Singletary. You just rolled out of bed and thought that to yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I just woke up. <laughs> I kicked like, him out of my top 20 while finalizing my list. Oh, did you? Yeah. The further I've gotten into the numbers, because if you look at his first 12 games last year, where he was getting more carries and was fully healthy, once he start roll, started rolling, he averaged six over 16 carries per game 75 yards per game which is what 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 i was saying raheem morissette was was averaging uh which projects out to a 12,000 or 1200 uh rushing yard season problem is as his touches increased his yards per average decreased this is not a volume back they drafted a guy like zach moss i think to decrease his load let him be more of that scat back third down roll in my top 20, I just think uh, I, I just think you're going to be disappointed because his, his usage won't be at that level. He's 5'7", 203. That's not a three-down back. And he's got yeah. injury concerns. I mean, he's going to get volume, but like you're saying, with increased volume, his efficiency went down. That just doesn't excite me and at this no, point. No, that scares me. Yeah, at this point, I'm not – there are guys that I do want with volume – but guys that have more potential than this, I mean, I just don't really see it in him. But I do kind of want to buy into that Buffalo backfield because I'm with you with the structure of that offense. Definitely, because they they are going to be running the ball a lot. Like, that's what Buffalo's identity has always been and will always be. You know, like, it's that cold weather, ground and pound when it comes down to it. And, again, buying into the backfield, that's more of what it is. You know, I do think Devin Singletary is good. I don't lean as heavily on the stats as you guys do. Um, and the the increased or I guess like decreased efficiency with increased touches, it's definitely not a good thing. Yeah. But I I also just kind of wonder if that was just a random thing that kind of happened. Who knows? Is well, it because he was a rookie too? You assume a jump, you know. And yeah. and you assume that over the course of the off season or over the course of the season, like the rookies slow down. There's that rookie wall that always happens. It's like I was saying, the cold weather in Buffalo, and all of a sudden you don't want Josh Allen throwing the ball as much, and so the boxes are loaded. And so the numbers don't look good. I sure wish they were better. Um, and if they were better, he'd be higher. But as of right now, I, I I would feel good about him in my top 20. Any concerns about Zach Moss, third-round pick, affecting Devin Singletary's workload? Yeah, I think he'll uh, definitely play into this and be a major factor into their backfield sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, you talk about like you know, follow the money. 
this is kind of following the draft picks. This signals how they feel about their backfield if they feel the need to draft a third-round guy. Yeah, I mean, though we should mention Singletary was drafted higher than him a year prior. Yeah, and also they're they're pretty different in terms of style of running. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are both kind of bowling balls. But that's what concerns you is they're kind of different. Yeah, and so that, that means you are splitting a bit. Yeah, yeah. But I, ah. Are they cannibalizing each other's production like Melvin and Phil, like maybe Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack to where we're concerned? Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't know, I'm not... I'm yeah. not all the way there on Zach Moss. You know, I, I to me, to I'm me, like you, seeing Eno Benjamin, you know, these Pac-12 guys, I am the Pac-12 expert around these parts, but, do cover. you know, to, to see Eno Benjamin be drafted after Zach Moss, it's like, yeah, it was what is going on? Yeah. What is going on? Yeah. Um, that does our top 20, though. We that does like 26 dudes. It's pretty good. We did. And before we get into some of the sleepers and some of the handcuffs we want to jump onto, which is how we're going to close today's show out, we do want to give another shout out to our guys over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Big time. The best sportsbook in the United States by the ratings. World, I dare say. Oh, dare yeah, I probably say. the world. Yeah. I mean, there can't be too many like international sportsbook apps. I'm sure there is. Gambling's legal everywhere. But um, yeah, <laughs> still, though, the, the, there's nothing like DraftKings and their app and all the cool features that it have. It's so so easy to navigate and now with legal betting we have all these great offers it's really you're losing money by not being on there um and not taking advantage of all their cool stuff and they've got daily fantasy as well on their other yeah, apps so, that's I mean, true DraftKings, they're just they're truly the kings um nothing better man nothing better nothing better at all and if you uh download the top rated sport or DraftKings sportsbook app now and use the promo code dmvr you can take advantage of this no-brainer of an offer uh, I jumped ahead. There we go. So <laughs> that was the wrong offer. Uh, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DMVR to get a free $101 bet to use uh, once you place a bet on the first football game of the season. That's promo code DMVR to get your free $101 bet for a limited time. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Other terms and conditions or restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right, let's jump into the rest. Everybody outside of the top 20. Um, uh, yeah. You want to give us a name to start out with, Dre? I mean, I just said my favorite sleeper is Philip Lindsay. My second favorite sleeper is Cam Akers, who's coming out of my sixth favorite backfield mm -hmm. in the Los Angeles Rams. Last time they had a fully healthy uh rb1 in that backfield he won offensive player of the year and was winning people uh fantasy leagues left and right his name is todd Gurley. once he got injured at the end of that season they rode cj anderson all the way to the super bowl and he was almost as if not more productive now they have this stud little running back cam Akers from florida state um, I liked him a lot. I had him ranked ahead of some of the rookie running backs that you were talking about mm -hmm. earlier, like J.K. Dobbins, for example. Um, Daryl Henderson had an underwhelming rookie season last year for them, so I'm not too concerned. I really think Akers will be a good guy with the proper vision and north and south one-cut ability to fit that offense. Not in my top 20. He's a rookie. There's no preseason. There's no offseason, so there's plenty of risk to take on but if i'm ranking sleepers few guys i like more than cam Akers. yeah yeah i mean he was really the identity of that florida state team you know, oh yeah very efficient as a runner uh caught 30 passes last year love that it kind of surprises me that he 
didn't catch more. Exactly. Yeah. Knowing who he is as a running back, you know, maybe we do need to see him more as the C.J. Anderson type, you know, a guy who you just brought up, and maybe not so much as a pass catcher. This, what, what exactly do you see as his role in this offense? I see him as being the Rams equivalent of Dalvin Cook, another Florida State guy, a guy who has oh. similar size, similar receiving yeah. ability, similar like he's not overly powerful, he's not a 4-3 runner, but he, he checks off a lot of boxes yep. with vision, ability to make guys miss in space, one cut. Florida State was such a dumpster fire the last five years. He's been used to running behind really bad offensive lines. He's been used to being a guy who, you know, if you don't make a guy miss, you're going to have a tackle for a loss here. So kind of creating his own yards himself. Yeah. Um, again, he's a sleeper. You, you don't need to take him, get crazy with him, and take him as a top 50 pick because I just talked him up. But he's definitely a guy I would prioritize to have on my bench. Yeah, and again, you know, when I was talking about the rookie running backs, I said, you know, if if you wind up in a situation you don't want to be in where the running back board isn't falling well because you wound up with, like, pick four and whatever the equivalent of that in the second round is in a snake draft and you had to take a receiver there, then, yeah, I think that this really is one of those guys. And I like that you said that you'd put him ahead of Dobbins. And I think that that is yeah. a, a good idea. How would you rank all of – not all of the rookie running backs, but, you know, the – the Based ones on that you fantasy, would consider, yeah. It would be Hilaire 1, obviously. Jonathan Taylor 2, because he was in my top 20. Mm-hmm. Cam Akers 3. DeAndre Swift 4. Oh. J.K. Dobbins 5. Why is he ahead of Swift? Uh, Akers, that is? Yeah. Because I'm less worried about the competition with on Johnson. Yeah. And I'm a much bigger believer in that offense that that is still bringing back guys like Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. They still have, you know, the bulk of their offensive line. Jared Goff, the coach is still there. So I like the A, it's zone blocking. You know, I've talked that up in my top Mm -hmm. 10. I think half my top 10 was made up of zone blocking West Coast running backs. Um, So I like that. I like the talent around him and I like the opportunity. Makes sense. Almost wonder if I should have ranked him ahead of Jonathan Taylor now that I've said all these nice things about him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it really is tough to gauge which of these guys are going to fall where. Um, another guy who I really like yeah. is Matt Breida. Oh, I know. You're high on him. I'm really high on Matt Breida. He's my fifth sleeper. Your fifth sleeper. Okay, that's solid. Yeah. I think. I think that... Because it has been a year since we've seen him really be at his full strength as a running back. So remind people, where does he play? Where does he come from? Oh, yeah. He's at Miami. Mm-hmm. He was uh, playing for San Francisco before yep. that. Small little guy, super productive with them. They trade for him like a fifth rounder? Am I dreaming that? I think that that's right. And I don't they know just got rid of Kalen Balazs. You know, he's... Not that Bulash was a huge factor, but he was a promising young back there. So it just opens up even more opportunities in Miami for them. They And they never did draft a running back, right? I don't think so. That no. was one of those teams where we were mocking, like with their third first round pick, we were mocking DeAndre Swift and guys like that didn't end up going that way. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, right now it's it's a two-person competition to be the starting running back. And odds are With. Matt Breida and Jordan Howard are going to be splitting time. Yeah, that's that's yeah, likely yeah. what's going to happen. Don't like Jordan Howard. 
at all. And that is half of why I'm so high on Matt Breida. And then you have the potential that comes along with being in such a young offense. You know, having Tua there now, what is he able to do as a rookie? Is he a rookie of the year type of quarterback? Which I think he could be. And, you know, we saw a guy like Kenyon Drake last year go to Arizona and work with Kyler Murray and see the production kind of jump up there. And I think that you could see something similar in a different way because we have seen more of Matt Breida. But I do think that Matt Breida should be uh, considered once you do get out of like the, the drafting starters range of the draft. I'm with it. That's a solid argument. I guess Jordan Howard worries me, but I think that coaching staff has it figured out that like they know what they're doing. Yep. They're going to do the right thing. They're going to start the most talented guy. And I do agree with you that the most talented guy in that backfield is Matt Breida. Yeah. Matt Breida, if he takes over, I mean, he's ADP right now, 122. So if you're in a 12 team mm-hmm. league, that's 10th. 10th. If you're in a yeah. 10 team league, that's 12th. Yeah. You're getting a lot of value from a pick like that, that mm-hmm. late in the draft. So, yeah, potential starting running back. And should have really good PPR value, right? That's kind of what I was thinking. You know, he he seems like things should go well. Again, it's projection, and all the projection is why he is so far down the draft board. But there's, there's a lot to like. Uh, any sleepers you want to talk about, guy? Yeah, I don't know if you can really call it a sleeper per mm. se, but Kareem Hunt, I'm very big on. Mm. I mean, oh yeah, you're really big on him. Yeah, yeah, I had him at 21, so just outside of our top 20 there. Uh, you talk about his role in that offense from week eight on. Uh, he was the RB 26 to Nick Chubb's RB 18. So not only does that negatively impact Nick Chubb's value but it positively impacts how he's viewed in this offense. He's got standalone value because they're uh, putting him in with the wide receivers, so he's running routes. He's been catching a lot of passes. They've got nothing but nice things to say about him during uh, training camp. Uh, He figures to be a big part of this offense. And then you factor in, if Nick Chubb goes down, Fremont has massive value. Like That is his backfield and his backfield alone. So you've got standalone value. You've got handcuff value baked into that as well. And now Nick Chubb, he's already dealing with concussions before the season has even started. So the injury risks are there with him. And uh, I think that things are just shaping up to be in the cards for Kareem Hunt. If you draft him and you're able to just get the most out of what you can for this first couple weeks and wait for what I almost view as the inevitable with him kind of taking over, you're going to, that's a league winner right there. And you're getting him all the way down here at, I mean, RB 24. Yeah. So RB 24, but we're talking about in a draft, this is like a seventh rounder. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy who at any point in the le- uh, the season, he could be one of the top 10 backs in the league. So oh, you love the upside the of upside. these veterans, yeah. man. You're all about veteran uh, upside. You say veteran. He's 25. I mean, he doesn't have a ton of miles on his legs. And oh, for sure. He's shown nothing but skill. I mean, the big concern here, obviously, is suspension risk and less about injury risk. But if he yeah, can stay I mean, out of trouble, I mean, the talent's there. The opportunities there. It's more overriding Nick Chubb, who, again, I think is mm. the motor of this. But, yeah, based, yep. based how they were using him last year, yeah. You say that. I mean, 
from week eight on. No, exactly. Nick Chubb was the RB18, and yeah. Kareem Hunt was the RB26. That's not that far off. And considering where you're drafting them, you're getting a lot better value of Kareem Hunt than you are out of Nick Chubb. Right. My only, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I just worry about like a seventh rounder. Mm. It, he's got pass catching value. He's going to be running routes to the wide receivers, mm. more opportunities to score. He's got a better nose for the end zone than Nick Chubb does. And if he can outperform him, he could just take that job from him outright, even without an injury or anything else. Yeah, I'm a big believer in Nick Chubb. I am talent. too. I am too. And I do his think- value to that team. I think he's really important to that offense. But, I mean, it, hey, the numbers speak for themselves. How yeah. Hunt impacted his production last year uh, goes without saying. Yeah. Those, those numbers speak clear. I mean, these things are by no means guaranteed, but this is my philosophy is at this point you should be – like, if you have a chance, a guy who has this top, we'll say 10, but if you're really uh, optimistic, top five upside in the seventh round, that's massive. Yeah, and, you know, I think to me what you're doing with this pick is really just betting on Nick Chubb missing time. Like, that's how yeah. I see it is if yeah. he's out, then you're good to go. Outside of that, then I think it's a pretty big gamble to try to get – real production out of him he has concussion issues in training camp yeah oh yeah it could totally happen we have a higher incidence of soft tissue injuries occurring because of a shorter training program Mm -hmm. and you have covid this is the year to be betting on things like that to be i wouldn't say betting i would say positioning yourself to take advantage of things like that that's how i would phrase that yeah Yeah. To, to me the reason that i don't expect myself to draft kareem hunt uh it's mostly that I I want to make those sorts of bets on backup running backs getting a whole bunch of time and potentially time late in the season. I think that Kareem Hunt is going to be off the board before I get to that point. You know, I, I think I don't know exactly where everybody is in the ADP. I guess I could pull it up, How but a guy like sleepers Tony are positioned. I'll end up taking Phil Lindsay two rounds later, Cam Akers two rounds later, exactly. Then Kareem Hunt, or even it. like a guy like Tony Pollard later, Antonio Gibson later. You know, I don't know. I think that I think that later there are some options. Um, you know, I'll throw Sony Michelle out there too. So back and forth on Sony. Michelle. I know, I know, and that's why I didn't plan on saying that, but I did. If there's a year Sony Sony Michelle busts out, it's this year. He yep. could be a top fifteen back, right? Like mm-hmm. they rode him to a Super Bowl as a rookie. Yeah. He was, he, oh yeah. He was getting more. Really. Lamar Miller. Oh, you can When's get the him last so time late? Lamar can... Miller produced in the NFL. Exactly. I understand that, but the fact that the they're man signing got... him when Sony Michelle should be their feature back—that says everything about how they feel about him. Uh, that's just—that's the other thing. The Patriots. If you could guess the running back that's going to get the most touches on a game-by-game basis, it's—he's a—he'd t- be a top ten running back. Oh, yeah. But you need to be in Belichick's head and know because they're going to switch. Rex Burkhead's going to lead him in touches one week. James White's going to lead him in touches another week. Lamar Miller's going to lead him in touches another week. Damian Harris has looked amazing in trading. Damian Harris, the former Bama back, that's the reason why Derrick Henry doesn't have, still has some tread left on his tires because yeah. he had to split carries with him back at Alabama. <laughs> and then you get to, um, I've forgotten who we were even Sony talking about. Sony, Sony Michelle, Michelle in the Patriots backfield. So, no, I mean, 
mean, there's a lot of mouths to feed. Mm-hmm. He's closer to my do not draft list than he is anywhere else. But I do feel the same way. Like I had to talk myself out of Sony Michelle being in my top oh, 20. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean because <sighs> they're you, fr- the Patriots are another maddening team if you're a fantasy owner. Oh yeah, for sure. I wonder how much that changes without Tom Brady though. Like you almost wonder if like James White's know, a Brady man. guy. And and the reason he is so valuable in that offense is because Tom Brady knew how to use him right. And who knows? Maybe Cam does too, or maybe that is just not what's happening. And James White's just a really good football player. I've thought that too, and then uh-huh. I thought, well, Cam Newton just Dude. helped Christian McCaffrey have like the most productive yep. season for a receiving back in like NFL history. So maybe he'll be just fine with a guy like James White. I know we aren't talking There's about so quarterbacks, many questions, but when you're going through the list of quarterbacks who are the most like Tom Brady, Cam Newton is up there. And like, and I know there's like a whole bunch of other things with Cam and like the injuries and like the the athleticism is totally different. And he's past his prime and all yeah, that, whatever. Size and all that. And the size, it's I, I just don't know what this offense is going to be, but I really could see it being very similar to what it's always been. But also, I could see them just leaning on Sony Michelle because he's a blue blood talent. Like he's somebody you want yeah, to be. Yeah, blue chip. Yeah, yeah, blue chip. Blue blood. That's a TV show. But uh, blue chip. But like you, you want him out on the field because he has been productive before. He just needs to prove it again. It's it's worth a risk late. <sighs> he's been productive in stretches. Is the problem. I'm looking at his ADP right now, and he is one spot below Damian Harris. See, wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. We're talking about you know. RBs 52 and 53, average wow. pick at 166 and 167, respectively. So James White's the guy that's going higher than anyone, right? Uh, I believe so, yeah. That pass yeah. catching ability. Totally. I mean, in a PPR, he's almost he's almost a top 20 back, actually, James White. You know, and then there's all the Brady questions, but um, still, Jalen Samuels is a guy who kind of fits that mold for me um, yeah. in the James White. I've always liked mm-hmm. his talent. I think mm-hmm. he's similar to what. Um, you were talking about with Kareem Hunt where they're using him uh, as a receiver at times. Jalen Samuels can be an H-back. He can be a running back. He can kind of be a tight end. I mean, it's a lot of use for him, and he's a really talented receiving back. If James Conner's hurt, it's a borderline top 25 running back. And I think the reason why I really like him is because I don't necessarily think James Conner needs to be hurt. I, I think that no, he still has some utility without James Conner being hurt. You're yeah, right. and I think that James Conner could very easily be surpassed on that depth chart um, by Samuels. I think that that is very much on the table. I don't think that that job is as secure as you'd expect now that they've had him as the starter for two years. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, you know, it's a little more wide open. You know, mm-hmm. the next tier of sleepers for me is guys like – Justice Hill, whose big playability mm-hmm. and speed I've always thought would take that Ravens running game to the next level. At this point, with someone like J.K. Dobbins, with Mark Ingram still there, it's probably more of a late dynasty play, kind of a waiver wire dynasty play, than someone you're really trying to draft in a standard redraft in the top 12 rounds. Bryce Love also has me really intrigued. Okay. Because, you know, that huh. backfield lost Darius yep. Geis. And I was just about to bring up Antonio Gibson. Who I wonder, will he be a receiver this year? Will he get a lot of touches? You know, he wasn't getting a lot of touches at Memphis. Yeah. Let it, alone the NFL. So It's a weird thing. 
But when you look at it, if we're betting on guys like getting hurt more often than normal, sure. you'd expect maybe the old guys to be those guys. Adrian Could Peterson be. is the number one on that depth chart right now with the two guys we just mentioned right behind him. Yeah. I mean, maybe this is a Philip Lindsay, Melvin Gordon situation, but only because Adrian Peterson got hurt. You know? I just yeah. don't know. I, th- I think Antonio Gibson, I probably wouldn't draft him. Uh, I would be paying attention to him, either. though. And and, yes. and if you see something, PPRs. be quick to grab him off the waivers. Yeah, and see, I think Bryce Love, he was drafted like in the fourth Feel round so. with injuries. I think Bryce Love might have some sneaky upside here. As far yeah. as sleepers go, I've yeah. got my eye on him. Yeah. <sighs> And my final, my 10th sleeper is LaMichael Pirine, who could be RB1 for the New York Jets Yep. by, like, October 1st. Yep. Like, I don't think that could take very long. I mean, if, if you're the Jets front office, what you really, really want right now is for Le'Veon Bell to work for three weeks, four weeks, put up 150 yards per game on five yards per carry, and then you ship him out the door as soon as you can. And if that happens, then Michael P. Ryan's the guy. And odds are you aren't, you aren't able to trade him, and who knows what's going on with Le- Le'Veon Bell. But yeah. I still think that P. Ryan could find his way into just being the starting running back. I think so, too. I think that's very much in play. Any other sleepers you boys want to talk about? I think that's about it for me. I've got a whole other top 15 handcuffs. I was going to say, I think handcuffs needs to be its own discussion. That's what I think, too. And my top two handcuffs are out of the same backfield, which I guess kind of defies it. But it's Jarek McKinnon, Tevin Coleman. I'm obsessed with the 49ers backfield. I Mm -hmm. want someone out of that. I'm going to have a top 15 producer at running back if I have all three guys. Yep. So I guess I'd need a deeper bench maybe to make this work. But, you know, like wide receivers so deep, I can quarterback so deep i can play with that man what order would you put the 49ers running backs in in terms of fantasy value it's hard it's hard moster and then like mckinnon coleman but they're like 2a 2b we're super splitting hairs there. yep and i love both those dudes mm. big playability they fit that kyle shanahan offense well yeah i uh i'm higher on coleman than mckinnon Fair. i think that McKinnon's first year and even the second year he was great in the NFL and I think that because he came in so quickly and immediately kind of stole the spotlight he's seen as a little bit better running back than he might actually be I I pulled up the stats earlier since the Case Keenum Minnesota Vikings yeah oh yeah it's been since 2017 but like what are these numbers uh yeah I mean he's never had a 600 yard rushing season yeah um I don't know I don't know what to expect from him other than speed you know and and if you can block well and tell him to hit the hole that's got to count for something right yeah i guess that's true what other handcuffs you have i have jk dobbins as my next handcuff am i omitting anyone key here guy (laughs) we mentioned kareem hunt am i yeah, I got two that you're omitting. Hey, lay it on me. All right. I'm going to start with Latavius Murray right here. Uh, oh. This is owning part of an offense like you're talking about. Yeah. If Kamara misses time and he does have sort of an injury history, you are just – you're sitting pretty if this is your handcuff. In week seven and eight when Kamara was out, 32 points, 36.7 points, 
I mean, he's not a flashy name, but just being a part of that offense is going to just put you in line for so much work. And Latavius Murray is, I'd say, for me, my top handcuff to own. Uh, yeah, that's in, he's just never been super productive in his career. But in those stretches, I mean, that's ultra productive. But if he, yeah, he, if he was, gets that yeah. chance, you have him. You know he's going to be the starter. Mm-hmm. And you're getting a potential of 30 plus points out of him. That's two weeks back to back. I know. 30 and, plus points. And if it weren't for that happening, I would be totally out on him. But because he did that, it's, it, it's just, oh, sure, it's, it's sure. in the back of my head Not where I'm just like, it, has he just been in bad offenses? You know, he's only had 1000 yard season in six years. And that was in 2015. You know, it, I thought he was in a pretty darn good offense with uh, Pat Shermer and those Vikings. Yeah. But then he goes out there and puts up those numbers. And so, yeah, I, 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 you can't take him off the handcuff lifts, even if I just don't like him as a running back. It's just being a part of that offense, man. Yeah. Sean Payton knows how to utilize him, and I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah. And I guess I didn't have him on my list because when I'm thinking of – and, I mean, look, you draft a top five running back, which with Alvin Kamara you'd be doing, you better have his handcuff drafted after round 10 or so just to be safe yeah um hold up i want to say a piece on this this is for me an instance of zigging when everyone else is zagging there's that mentality that if you take a guy in with that top pick you have to own his handcuff uh-huh. i'm the exact opposite of that huh. i go out of my way to not grab a handcuff for a guy who drafted early mm-hmm. and i will go out of my way then to draft handcuffs for everybody else's running backs. My theory here is if you're drafting a handcuff for a guy that you currently own, you're taking up two or in your instance with the 49ers, three three or more spots on your team when you're only going to play one of them at a time Uh versus if you're drafting handcuffs from other teams and holding your high draft picks that you're hoping aren't going to get hurt, you're holding those spots for those guys, but there's a higher chance that you're going to be able to play multiple at the same time. So if you have a Latavius Murray and, say, Dalvin Cook, sure. you can play Dalvin Cook and Latavius Murray when Alvin Kamara gets injured. But if you have Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison, you're only ever going to play one of the two of them. Yeah, yeah it's, that's true. So it, for me, handcuffs, I never draft the handcuff for my own running back, and I always hedge on other running backs picking up the slack way if they get injured because i have it's not a uh, bad approach it, yeah mm-hmm. it's my my safety valve is being able to play multiple running backs from those spots rather than just right. one and holding multiple spots on my bench and especially it's in a year where yeah your bench is really gonna have to uh, it's going to be a little bit more flexible with COVID and everything else. You're going to have to adapt on the fly with all these other things. I'd rather have the opportunity to play multiple guys from my bench at any one point in time, rather than taking up multiple spots for one starter. Yeah. yeah. In I, my standard leagues, I'm not too concerned about using up a bench spot just because the waiver wire, I mean, yeah, 80% of those bench spots I'll probably cycle out at some point. It is kind of a strange thing, though, because I never thought of it. I, I always just assumed that I should be handcuffing my running backs because if if that running back gets hurt, then you have somebody who's going to get pretty much all of the touches in theory, depending on how things go. Sure. But 
I, I've always also liked the strategy of handcuffing other running backs, you know, going through the same conversations that we just had in our head or but, but in my head, um, thinking about who could get hurt and how you can take advantage of that. What's interesting, though, is that the thought is you need to be number one in this league. You know, if, if that's your goal, if your goal is to win, then you kind of just do need everything to break right. And maybe one of those breaks you need is for your first round draft pick running back or your second round draft pick running back to stay healthy all year. That might just be one of those things that just has to happen. And on top of that, you need to take shots on four guys instead of the three you would take um, had you handcuffed him because you need one or two of those to pan out. So I'm not totally sold on not handcuffing my running backs, but I I am more open-minded to it now. Well, my thing is there's some handcuffs that are a must. Latavis Murray, I was like, look, at the end of the day, if the – if the Saints lose Alvin Kamara, they've lost Alvin Kamara. There's no one on their bench. There's no one on their practice squad. There's no street free agent who can come in and really replicate what he does. Yep. So it's kind of like, okay, eh, same deal. You know, and there's a lot of guys I could say that about. I'm not too concerned about uh, handcuffs with the Chargers behind Austin yep. Eckler. Yep. I'm not too concerned about handcuffs behind Saquon Barkley at the Giants. But there's some guys you just can't replicate. So if you're out, you're SOL. That's the deal. But then you look at the Cowboys, and you see Tony Pollard, a really good running uh, back, he's up there. sitting behind Ezekiel Elliott. You've got to take him if you if, if you have the opportunity. I Talent think and opportunity. I yeah. know. And the crazy thing is though, like has, has Zeke gotten hurt? Not really. I'm not super duper sold on Tony Pollard's talent, yeah. which is why I have other handcuffs ranked ahead of him. And with this new offense, I wonder, will they be as relying on the run game if Zeke were to be hurt? But at the same time, yeah. yeah. Tony Pollard, pretty valuable handcuff there. Yeah. Uh, who's, what other handcuffs? What is it? Alexander Madison's the other obvious handcuff yep. I, I've omitted thus far, guy? Yeah, I think that... Yeah. I mean, I like him as a handcuff in a vacuum, but with Dalvin Cook's holdout you know, uh, saga, we'll call it, uh, his value has been driven a little bit too high for me. It's kind of in that same vein of Antonio Gibson. Mm. I like the opportunity that he has, but he's become that you know flavor of the week where everyone's paying attention to it and his value gets driven up, and all of a sudden he's not really worth it at that point. Uh, I would rather have a guy like a Chase Edmonds over Alexander Madison. We talked last episode about how if you had – Whoever was starting at running back for Arizona last season, you would have had the RB3, right? Chase Edmonds, I think, has the talent. And if Kenyon Drake were to miss any time, he has a very good opportunity there in Arizona. Uh, And I think he makes a really good handcuff. And he's not a guy that's really as paid attention to, so you're getting him at a better value. In the three weeks where he got a chance to start, 17.6, 14.7, and 35 even. So he has big playability. He's getting a lot of volume when he's in that offense. And I don't think that, uh, you know, that many. There are people who are paying attention to him. You're just getting him at a better value than Alexander Madison, who really kind of, with Tony Pollard, headlines the list of must-have handcuffs. So you're not going to be able to get them, you know, at a sneaky value, which you really would want from your handcuff. And Eno doesn't scare you there? Not necessarily, no. Especially with a shortened off season. I mean, maybe yeah. next year we'll be having a different conversation. You guys, you've Edmonds done so much research Drake-like during the draft too. that you see the flashes of talent. But I think that within their offensive system, 
they have a pretty clear hierarchy and they know what they have in Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds and they're trying to keep consistency around Kyler Murray. I don't think they're going to mess with that by putting in Eno Benjamin for any significant stretches. Maybe he gets a couple touches, but I don't think he's a threat to take over for significant production. Hmm. Rookie running backs are never a threat until they are, you know? Yeah, sure. that's how it works. And then, yeah, I have guys like Dobbins, Hunt, who we've talked about, Marlon Mack, who's kind of a must for me. Um, is he a handcuff? Is he? He's... He's your Jonathan Taylor handcuff. Yeah, you I see it so. the other way around? I think it is, yeah. Really? From what I've been reading, Marlon Mack will uh, be starting the season, and Jonathan Taylor will be taking over later. And they're kind of going to be going with a hot hand approach. So I don't, need, I don't know if it's a straight-up handcuff and starter situation so much. It is a running back by committee, and then one will take over, and then the other will be the handcuff at that point. But... It's not really a backfield I really want any part of. See, I love it, though, because if they get going, that's a really dynamic running team. Based off ADP, he is the handcuff, though. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, RB22. Marlon Mack, RB44. Yeah. Yeah. And And I think the other thing is, like, maybe... Arguably reversed, yeah. Yeah, maybe it's, like, right now Marlon Mack's still the guy, but there's still two weeks till the season starts. That's true. And I mean, look, maybe you pull guy strategy where instead of taking your handcuff, you go after another team's handcuff. If you can get Marlon Mack at RB44, worth considering. Especially considering the news is that he will be the week one starter. You're getting those first couple weeks of production at him at a very, very low like cost. So you can take advantage of that early in the season and help win those early games and put yourself in a better position later on and then just dump them for a good wave wire pick later. Once Jonathan Taylor, I guess, as we all feel, will inevitably take over that backfield, you can get the production from Mac early in the season and then just 86 them. Trade him. I don't know if you trade him. Ah, see, I kind of like that. You know, give him two. Oh, I would trade him all the way. Yep. Trades go both ways, though. You can't just say, I'm going to trade this guy. You have to find people who are willing to take them. I'd be harassed. I'm not saying wait till Jonathan Jonathan Taylor overtakes him and then try to get rid of him. I'm saying, like, let him go out there. If he has two, two big weeks, ditch him and then just wait for Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. Also, I'm harassing whoever John, the owner in my league that has Jonathan Taylor is. I'm sending him like a trade offer for Marlon Mack yeah. every single day. Yeah. <laughs> um, that as annoying as that is, that seems to work more often than not having oh, been it? on the other end of it. Great yeah. advice. Yeah. That's what we're here for. Uh, then I have Brian Hill and Duke Johnson. Okay. Easy peasy. We've talked about him. Yep, uh, yeah. I actually sneakily like Brian Hill. At the Falcons. Um, Carlos Hyde, we forgot that's the guy who's threatening. <laughs> I didn't forget yeah. him. That's the guy yeah, who's he's threatening. He's just irrelevant. I know, Chris I've, almost, I've almost thrown him in. But a there's been more chat about so Carlos times. Hyde in that he's offense. old. He's got injury oh, risk. old. Come on. He's like 25. He's got injury risk. I, I don't want anything to do with him. Born in 1990. So he's About 30. to turn 30. Yeah. It's not 25. That sounds And for incorrect. a running back? I don't, well, it's just because he's he been drafted like five years ago. Card. Let's see. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he ran for a thousand yards last year. I mean, that's an offense that has rarely stuck to one back that has given lots of guys options and he's their RB two right now. So. Yep. Honestly, be, be quick on the waiver wire. If something happens to Chris Carson or if it seems like things are sh- slipping, but I'm not willing at all to take a draft pick on him, waste a draft pick on him. 
All right. Uh, any other handcuffs you guys want to get to before we get out of here? That's pretty much it for me. We talked about, yeah, Zach Moss has to be considered. Mm -hmm. You know, the tricky thing with the Packers is you don't just have A.J. Dillon. You have Jamal Williams to factor into all that. Um, Darrington Evans is another guy we've talked about. You know, if you have Derrick Henry, if you're bought into that Titans offense, especially in PPR dynasties, Darrington Evans might be a little more intriguing. So, Well, you mentioned earlier it's like it's one of those instances where you can't replicate what Derrick Henry does. He's one of one. So even though Darrington Evans will be getting the workload of Derrick Henry, I don't know if he can produce in the same way. Changes the offense completely. Yeah. So I just don't – I mean, I have Darrington Evans in one of my leagues. It's just kind of uh, – I don't know. You're buying a ticket to the lottery there, but I'm not actually confident in it. But I didn't love him coming into the draft. He's mostly a burst scat back guy. So, yeah, I'm not even going to disagree with you too much. I do think that offense – there's not really anyone behind Darrington Evans, so if Henry were to go down, they'll rely on him enough where he is certainly rosterable and he, he might be starter uh, starter material a couple weeks when you're dealing with some buys and stuff. But, you know, if you are taking him that late, you probably have two running backs who you like better than Darrington Evans giving you his 11 points only because he's getting so many touches, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Got to draft guys you like. Okay, I think that's going to do it for today. We will be back Tuesday night at 8 o'clock with another episode of DNVR Draft Live. And that's uh, when we'll take the questions. We did see yes. that there's already questions coming in yes. on the post at thednvr.com. You have to be a subscriber to do that. Uh, so please subscribe and support us and support this new adventure we're taking on with Fantasy. As a subscriber or DNVR member, you can also access our Discord channel where all our members and us are in there chatting with each other. We're talking about bets. We're talking about football, talking about life. We're talking about other sports. And we also have a fantasy specific channel. And that's where we're talking about, you know, guys are showing us uh, their mocks. Guys are showing us all sorts of cool stuff that they're doing. A lot of guys are in leagues with each other and they're sparking other separate channels from there. So that's another incentive. We will be tapping into that discord channel a lot for you guys to be able to interact with us and even run our own community run team in our dnvr league with other dnvr staff members including ourselves so that's another thing you want to um get into and be part of and stuff so yeah we're just doing all this uh all this all this cool yeah. stuff and the off season twice a week these thursday shows will be coming at you a little earlier the stable show that will be there all the time year round is going to be that tuesday at 8 p.m getting you set for your wi uh, waiver wire during the season next week we will be doing that show again and we'll be getting into this loaded wide receiver class all the while we'll be drafting in one of these dynasty leagues that we are in with other members of the community. So it'll be extra cool because we'll get to talk about that. And I think we all three of us agree our, our redraft strategy is quite different from our dynasty strategies, given the longevity of running backs and all of that. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to get into that as we preview the wide receiver class too. Um, anything I'm forgetting on that? Or? I think that's pretty much okay. it. Cool, 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 cool. All so, right. Yeah. We'll be back Tuesday at 8 o'clock. Um, unless there's like a playoff game, in which case the time will not be 8 o'clock. But we'll deal with that when that happens. Yes.
go.